Hey, welcome to Parkview. If you could slide over a little bit, we still got some people coming in over there, so keep helping us out uh, with that. Slide over if you get a chance. We got some more room in here. We'll make room for everybody. I'm the problem with the world. I'm that guy. I was in an airport restroom this summer, and I was the guy who used the last piece of toilet paper. Normally, I would be the guy who would be like, you know, I'm going to go find somebody. I want to tell somebody because I don't want to leave somebody with that situation. But who do you tell in an airport? Right? There's nobody to tell. There was nobody right in line for that stall behind me. And I had a flight to catch. So I walked away. I have to admit, with a bit of a smirk, as I watched people start to file into the bathroom and I wondered which one was going to be the guy that had to go, hey buddy. (laughs) Truly the problem with the world is that we're not looking out for each other, we're looking out for only ourselves. I am the problem with the world. We all need somebody to look out for us. In the very beginning, God made man and said, it is not good for man to be alone. You need somebody to watch out for you. Now he said that right after he made Adam, but he hadn't made Eve yet. You need to understand how important this was. God did this on purpose. I don't think God went, oh, I didn't figure out how Adam was going to reproduce. I should have thought of that. He did this on purpose. He waited to make Eve. Why? To illustrate that man would be waiting on woman for the rest of his life. (laughs) But that's not the important part. God could have made Adam at the same time he made Eve, but he didn't do it. He made Adam and he wanted Adam to understand that something was missing. So what did he do? He had Adam name the animals and the animals came by how? Two by two. They came together in community. Do you understand this? So think about Adam. Adam is sitting here watching all the animals come by. Oh, that looks like an aardvark. Oh, that's an orangutan. Oh, that's a kangaroo. And all of a sudden, as they're coming by, he's realizing that they've each got somebody in their life, and he has nobody. And at some point, he realizes that life is going to be pretty weird for him in the zoo because he doesn't have anybody that he can have relationship with. He needs somebody to warn him about the toilet paper. He needs someone who uses toilet paper, right? Then God made woman. And can she use toilet paper? I have three daughters, just say Costco. It was worth it for God to do this so that Eve could not only address Adam's need for reproductive capabilities, but because of their reproductive capabilities, there would be the opportunity for more people to be in the world so there could be extended family and friendships and we could have relationship because we were designed for community. It is not good for man to be alone. It was the first thing that God ever said was not good was for us to live in isolation. And our, our health officials, our health people have figured that out. I heard on today's show recently that having friends is second only to not smoking to your overall health. It's only second to quitting smoking. If you're a smoker, you need to quit smoking. That's the most important thing. But the second most important thing to your physical health is to have friends in your life. Isn't that interesting? So if you can't quit smoking, you better get in a small group. That's all I can say. 
We were designed for community. We're doing this series called PCC Inc. We gave out tattoos last week. I'm going to get a tattoo, uh, some kind of cross tattoo that somebody's going to design for me. We're having a little contest. Uh, sometime in September, I'm going to get that because I, I want to be inked for Jesus. And I talked about that and, and how, you know, how... Christians have messed up the verses about how you're not supposed to have tattoos. As a matter of fact, somebody reminded me this week that when Jesus comes again, he will have a tattoo. It says King of Kings and Lord of Lords on his thigh. That's what the book of Revelation says. He'll have a tattoo on his thigh when he comes back riding on his white horse. That's figurative, but, but the whole idea behind the tattoo is to get inked with something that identifies you as a part of something bigger. Last week, I told you that the first mark of a Christian, first mark of a believer would be lips. You should have a lips tattoo somewhere on you. Not necessarily literally, but, but the mark of a believer in the very beginning, when we go back to the very beginning, was to have lips, was to tell a story. And I believe that we're supposed to be telling our story. And I said last week that if Jesus was here, I don't think he would be hanging out with all the other Christians. He was always out with people he could tell the story to. And I said if Jesus was breathing air in the 21st century last weekend, I said I think he'd be at Sturgis. And my friend happened to be at Sturgis, the biggest biker festival in the world. So he got me this t-shirt from Sturgis. And look, Jesus has already been there. Huh? How cool is that? Woo. This week, our uh, tattoo is a tribal chain, a tribal bracelet. Okay, uh, this goes back to the Indians. They used to have a bracelet to identify themselves in a certain in a certain tribe to be a part of a group. Uh, gang members use this now. They'll have some kind of a, a tattoo around their arm or around their wrist that is some kind of a tribal tattoo. It's something that the group does together that identifies you being a part of a group. So your tattoo this week is to be a part of a group, and it's usually a chain, something that's interconnected one way or another. Because followers of Jesus are people who are supposed to take seriously the command of Jesus that number one is to love God and number two is to love our neighbor as ourselves. We're supposed to live in community. You've watched this at the Olympics. You just haven't been paying that much attention to it. Kind of burned out on it now, aren't you? And I'm like, I'm done. I mean, when the BMX bikers came out, I was like, okay, I, this is, I'm done. I mean, but, but, but the thing that you would watch at the Olympics that was always fascinating is people that were in team sports always seemed to have more joy about their medals than people that were in individual sports, right? I mean, you see the, the, the soccer team or the girls basket or the basketball team, the men's basketball team who come from different, you know, teams and compete against each other, but they're happy to win together. You almost feel sorry for those people that are in individual sports. You know, I'll give myself a high five. Yay, I'm excited because there's nobody to share it with because we're designed for community and we know that that's true but for whatever reason the default the default setting on humanity always goes back to isolation the default setting on humanity always goes back to isolation for some reason we stop wanting to work on having community the same is true in the bible in the beginning and i'm going to be in acts chapter 2 again we're going to be doing that this whole month acts chapter 2 i'm going to be talking about the community that they had in the very early church but by the time you get a couple of decades over to the book of hebrews no we don't know who the writer is but the writer of hebrews says and let us consider how we may spur one another on to love and good deeds not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. See, what happened was the early church started, and they had this beautiful community together. And then 
People started getting out of the habit of being together and they started going back to isolation and they started doing things on their own. It's the default setting of humanity. It happened in, in old times. I mean, you look at London, you're watching London on the Olympics and you see the castles and you, you remember what castles were about. They were about these big walls and some of them had moats around them, right? And, and, and the villages would all put walls around them and they would isolate themselves from everybody else. It happened in the United States of America. Do you know why? Because Henry Ford made the automobile. So all of a sudden, from the time the automobile came into existence, you didn't have to live and work and breathe and, and go to church and do all that stuff with the people that you were in the same town with. Because you could actually drive out somewhere else. You could drive out to this thing they started calling the suburbs. In the 1950s, suburbs started popping up. Because you could drive back and forth and you could go have your little suburb and someday hopefully have an Applebee's and a Walmart and have the whole package and have everything all there together. And over time, the suburbs started to take over and we started to isolate our stuff. Think about our houses. How many of you grew up in the city of Chicago? Let me see your hand. Okay, most of you, right? And your house in the city of Chicago was like this. The street was right there. The sidewalk was right there. You had like two feet of lawn that you could have mowed with a weed whacker. And there was your house, right? And your por And what did you have on the front? You had a big porch. So that people in the old days would sit out on their front porch and everybody was in everybody's business and, and you knew what was going on and people would go for walks and they'd stop and they'd chat at this house and they'd stop and they'd chat at that house and that's the way things went. And then in the 60s and the 70s, we started moving our houses farther back, right? We started replacing the front porches with back decks and we started replacing little white picket fences with six foot high cedar fences so that we could isolate ourselves because the default part, the default setting of humanity is isolation. And if you're in a, a place where there's overpopulation, it gets even worse. They sell this sweater in China. I'm not making this up. <laughs> I don't know what kind of snuggy that is, but it's the leave me alone, I've got work to do sweater, huh? Isn't that amazing? <laughs> when we, uh, I tweeted this this week, but when I think when we look back on the beginning of the 21st century, sociologists are going to look back at that time in history as the time when we watched friends, but we didn't have any, right? Well, we watched it. We watched these guys that were in community and had each other's lives, you know, and they were at the coffee shop and they were involved with each other. And we watched it on television, but we didn't have it in our life. Chicago Tribune writer Marla Paul decided to write an article about how frustrated she was over her lack of relationships and lack of friendships. And she didn't think anybody would really be that interested in it. And she was inundated with people who felt the same way. And one woman wrote it this way. She said, I've often felt that I'm standing on the outside looking through the window of a party to which I was not invited. And that's a picture of our society in the 21st century because we keep going back to isolation. And the truth is, that's what makes Facebook and Twitter and social media so popular. It's a cure for loneliness, and it's okay, I'm good with that. But it's not just about being with people that's important. It's about being real with people that's important. And it's easy to fake that on Facebook, I mean Facebook, right? <laughs> it's really easy to do that. It's really easy to be a poser. And, and, and honestly, let's just be honest. I mean, look around you. You could walk into this room with, you know, 1,700 people in it or however many people we have here right now, and you could, go, you could be a poser and, and nobody's going to know. You could be fake. It's really easy to fake it. Here's my first weird video of the day. Hi. 
God intended fellowship to be a vital part of our life in the body of the church. That's why it is so important that we have church friends. Church friends are just like normal friends, except you should act totally different around them. When you are with church friends, you should always be smiling and talking only about how solid your walk with God is. Don't talk about your cares and concerns or tell your favorite joke about the priest and rabbi in the rowboat. That is for your secular friends. It is imperative that you only show your church face to your church friends. It can be hard sometimes to keep them from seeing the real you. But remember, you only see them once a week. So if you can just keep smiling until you get in your car, you're golden. These have been Deep Thoughts from a Shallow Christian. It's weird video day, by the way. Just be prepared for this, okay? There's multiples. Um, let me define what community is supposed to be. Community is the experience of knowing and being known, of loving and being loved, of serving and being served, of celebrating and being celebrated. Community is the experience of knowing and being known, of loving and being loved, of serving and being served, of celebrating and being celebrated. That's what community is really about. And I think if you were honest with yourself, you'd, you would say to yourself, either I am so glad I have, or man, I wish I had somebody in my life that was honest enough with me to bear their soul to me and share things with me that they wouldn't share with anybody else. And in your deepest heart, you know that you wish or you're glad that you have somebody that you can do that with with yourself. Something deeper than, hey, I just met you. This is crazy. Here's my number. Call me, maybe. I'm not, I'm not making fun of Carly Rae. It's all well and good. I mean, that first part of romance, that, that early time in your life, you know, when you're just getting to know somebody, that's exciting. But I'm going to tell you right now, nothing beats 28 years of marriage, except you people that could say, well, wait, wait till you see 48 years of marriage. It's a totally different experience. Knowing and being known, loving and being loved, serving and being served, celebrating and being celebrated. But it's not about marriage. The whole idea of community in the beginning was not about find the right spouse and you can have this. It was about us being connected to each other other. And the early church did exactly that. That's exactly where we're supposed to go with this whole thing. Uh, Chuck Swindoll wrote about a, a guy in Kansas. People are so desperate for this that a guy in Kansas actually took out an ad and said, hey, for five dollars, I will listen to you for 30 minutes without interrupting. <laughs> and, and people thought it was a joke, but before long he had dozens of people calling him every day to pay him five dollars so that they could call him on the phone and talk without being interrupted and have somebody to listen to them because they needed that in their life so much i know some of you guys are like could i hire that dude during football season no no you can't okay this is the problem that we all have. They call it the curse of 10,000 acquaintances. We have lots of people that we know, but nobody that's really listening to us. Nobody that's really in our life. Nobody that we're connected with. So we need a tattoo. We need a tribal bracelet. We need a chain. I teach at the What We Believe class, which is actually going on right now, that, that, us, that what we do is, at Parkview as a church is we try to go back to the New Testament and we want to go back and try to recreate things as best that we can back to the source. You always want to go back to the source where things are the purest. So we often go back to the book of Acts and look at how they did things. This is why we baptize by immersion. It's why we have the Lord's Supper every week. It's why we have the organizational structure that we have. It's why we do as many things as we possibly can to model ourselves after the way they did things in the early church. So I said that last week and I said that we started off last week. The church started when Peter shared his story. 
And we talked about how it's important for you to understand that you need to share your story. Not, I have the answers to everything. You can just say, I don't know, but I was once blind and now I see. That's how the church got started. That's your lips tattoo. Here's the second part of it. The next tattoo they had was this tribal bracelet. Look with me in Acts chapter 2. Okay, Peter, in verse 41, Peter has shared his story. He shared the, the gospel and the people responded and said, what should we do? And Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you. That's what you need to do. Come and be baptized right now. And those who accepted his message were baptized. And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. And the church was never small in the Bible, okay? I mean, there were small churches in different towns and different things that happened. But it, was, it never started out small. It started with 3,000 people the very first day. They had growth problems from the very beginning. They couldn't wait for somebody to get the freaking stoplight fix at their corner so that people could get in and out. They couldn't wait for all those things to happen. They never had enough room. They had to ask people to move over every time they had a service because that's how the early church started. But then look what happened. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders performed by the apostles. And all the believers were together and had everything in common. And they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in each other's homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. One of the first things you notice there is the fact that they were together, right? Did you see those words? They had fellowship. They had everyone together. They were selling things for one another. They met together. They ate together. You can't miss the community. My question for you is this. Did they have to make community because they grew so fast? Or did they grow so fast because they had community? That's a really good question. Did they have to create community because there were so many of them? Or did they grow so fast because the community was so attractive? Let's dissect this for just a little bit. Let's dissect this for a little bit and try to understand what the early church did when they had community. Okay? Number one thing I noticed there is that they had spiritual purpose. The early church understood that you're supposed to get together for more than just coffee and talk about the bears. That you're supposed to be able to get together with somebody that's going to help you to grow. Remember the Hebrew writer said someone to spur you on, right? Or to encourage you to be in your life. Think back to the last time that you had a spiritually significant conversation with somebody. Maybe it's been a long time. If you can remember that, you will remember that it was one of the most refreshing experiences that you'd had in a really long time. Because you talked about something deep inside. I have a men's small group that I'm a part of that meets uh, once a month. And we've been meeting for like five weeks or five different times, five different months. And it's gone along pretty good. We get to know each other. We met on Wednesday night and it just blew the doors open. Because one guy started sharing some stuff that was going on in his life. And the book that we were supposed to be studying, we hardly even talked about about because we started sharing with one another and we started being involved with one another and being in, involved in each other's lives and it was a spiritually significant conversation and it was meaningful because it had spiritual purpose notice they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching okay evidently what happened and again we try to model after this what happened is they would meet together in the temple courts on sunday and the apostles would get up and teach just like i'm doing right now and they would study god's word okay Here's the problem for me growing up, and it probably was for you too if you grew up in the church. If you grew up in an evangelical church like this, to be a, considered a good Christian, you were supposed to go to church every week, right? And so you would go to Sunday school and church on Sunday morning, 
right? You'd hear one lesson on Sunday, Sunday school, and you get another lesson from church on Sunday morning. And then if you were a better Christian, you would go back on Sunday night. You would skip the wonderful world of Disney, and you would go to church, which was painful for us all as children. But you would go back to church, and you would hear another sermon or another lesson. And maybe you even had youth group on top of that where there was another lesson. And then if you were a really spiritual Christian, you would go to church on Wednesday night. There was something holy about Wednesday night. And you would go to prayer meeting and Bible study on Wednesday night. Can I get an amen from you? Hallelujah, okay? All right. Where you heard a completely different lesson on a completely different topic, and then if you were a super califragilistic expialidocious Christian, you had a quiet time every day where you would possibly get seven more truths from God's Word to apply to your life. So that leaves you, if you're good at math, with the possibility of 11 or 12 different spiritual truths every week that you are supposed to incorporate into your life. I can't do it. I got like maybe one or two. That's all I can do a week. So what we do around here is we have a message on the weekend, and then most of our small groups, some of them do it differently, but most of our small groups will get together and they will study the very same topic that we talked about over the week, and we get together and we have this all this unifying theme where you're just trying to get a hold of one thing at a time, okay? Because this is just remedial church here. If you haven't figured that out yet, you know, this is a slow group for us here, okay? This is what we're trying to take this one step at a time. So what's going to happen, what I'm really excited about with the story, which is going to start September 22nd, 23rd, what I'm really excited about is the fact that with the story, you're going to have a story Bible, and what we're going to do is for 31 weeks, we're going to go through the entire Bible. Because the most important thing for your spiritual growth is to be in the Word of God. So we're going to go through the entire Bible for 31 weeks. And what we'll be doing is I'll be teaching from that part of the Bible on the weekend. And the small groups will be talking about that part of the Bible. And you'll be reading that part of the Bible in your story Bible guide during your quiet time. And your children will be studying from that part of the Bible. And your youth group kids will be meeting from that part of the Bible. And it'll all be unified. It'll all go together. Okay, The apostles teaching. And that's what we're going to try to do. Second thing is they devoted themselves to prayer, but, and I don't want to talk a whole lot about this because we're going to get onto that next week, but Matthew 18 says, wherever two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in their midst. I'm there with them. I don't know, I don't know why, but Jesus said there's something special about it when we pray together. You see the spiritual purpose that they had all together. Again, we'll talk more about that next week, all right? The second big thing that I see from this, they had spiritual purpose. Number two, they had dedication to each other. They had dedication to each other. It says they ate together with glad hearts. You know what? We always gain weight at our small group. I don't know about how your small group is, but man, we, there's something about glad hearts and the people bringing in all this high-calorie snack food that just makes, you, it's just, it just makes you feel good. They had picnics together. They had barbecues. I read about one small group in San Diego where they bought 12 season tickets to the Charger game, and there were three couples of them. So the three couples would invite three other couples to go to the football game. And then at the end of the football game, after everybody had gotten to know each other and had a good time, they'd say, hey, if you really enjoyed this, we have a Bible study at Bob's house. We meet together on Tuesday night. Come on over to Bob's house. And their group grew because they got together and they did something. They had fellowship together. They had fun together. And you say, well, wait a minute. Can I, I can go to a football game and it be part of my Christian walk? Everything is a part of your Christian walk. And everything ought to have spiritual purpose. The last thing you need to do as a believer is to alienate, this is what I said last week, alienate yourself from everybody else and sit in your room and read your Bible every day. 
God bless the monks and the people that do that, but that's not your calling, okay? You're supposed to incorporate spiritual purpose into everything you do. And they were so dedicated to each other that they met each other's needs. Did you, did you catch that? I mean, if somebody had a physical need, they would literally sell their car and go pay for them to have whatever was going on. They would sell their property. They met each other's physical needs. And they met each other's spiritual needs. They would pray together. They were that dedicated to each other. That's how the whole thing went. The truth of the matter is, your life is supposed to be interconnected with other people so that there are people there with you. Because sometimes life throws you a curveball. Sometimes, you know, if, you, if you're new to this church, you need to understand I'm not one of those guys that's going to get up and tell you when you give your life to Jesus, everything's going to be all hunky-dory for you for the rest of your life, okay? Someone said it really well. They said, expecting the world to treat you differently because you're a good person is a little bit like expecting the bull not to attack you because you're a vegetarian. He doesn't care, and life doesn't care. Stuff is going to happen. Tragedy happens. But the good news is when you are together in community, when you've got people in your life that can help you through the situation, you will be stronger together. In 1981, Herman and Donna Ostry bought a farm outside of Bruno, Nebraska, which is about 60 miles away from Omaha, middle of, you know, small town, Nebraska. And the property that they bought came with a barn that was wet all the time. It was in a bad place. The floor was, of the barn was always wet. And in 1988, the barn flooded to 29 inches of water in the bottom of the barn. It was just in a bad place. And then finally, after living there for seven years, they decided, you know what, we're either going to have to move this barn or we're going to just have to tear it down because it's not doing us any good. It's wet all the time. So they got a bid from a company, professional company to come and move the barn. And the bid was ridiculous. And they decided that that was not going to work. And, um, and so one day they were sitting around trying to decide when they were going to tear the barn down. And Herman's son, Mike said, what if we got enough people together to move the barn ourselves? If we just lift it up. He said, I've done the calculation and I figured out that, you know, by one board being this amount of, of weight, I figured out that the barn probably weighs something around 16,000 pounds. He said, I've also calculated that there's a way that we could put together a metal frame to go all the way around the barn that we could attach to the barn, to the floor of the barn, that, that we could attach it and it would weigh about 3,000 pounds. So basically what we would have is about a 10-ton barn by the time we were done. He said, I've also done the rest of the calculation and if we had 350 people each lifting 50 pounds apiece, we could actually pick up the barn and move it parents were like, well, what do we got to lose? So they went to the Centennial Celebration Committee at Bruno, Nebraska, which was getting ready to celebrate their, their 100th anniversary as a town. And they said, hey, wouldn't it be cool if this was a part of the Centennial Celebration? And they bought it. And they decided that they would do this. So on July 30th, 1988, shortly before 11 a.m., 350 people, I've seen the video, it's too bad quality for me to show you, 350 people, old guys in overalls, young guys in their running shorts, 350 of them grabbed the hold of this metal frame that they'd constructed around the barn. They picked it up and they literally moved the barn 115 feet and up six feet in elevation to a place where it could still be used for what it was supposed to be used for. Because the power of together works in ways. And we don't think of those things because we think about the things that we can do ourselves. That's not what Christianity is about. It's about the body. It's about us working together. It's about us all being a part of each other and what we can do together. 
My favorite Old Testament example of community, because I'm a leader, it comes from the life of Moses. Moses said to Joshua one day, Exodus 17, let me just read this for you, it won't be on the screens. Choose some men from some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites, and tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. Remember, that's what he parted the Red Sea with. That, that was the, the representation of God's power. He said, you're going to go out and fight the Amalekites, and I will hold the staff of God up. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. And Moses and Aaron and Hur went to the top of the hill. And as long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. I mean, it was really like that, you know? Yay, boo. So when Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and they put it under him and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side and one on the other, so that his hands remained steady until sunset. And Joshua overcame the Amalekite army. Why? Because he had, because of the power together. He couldn't hold the staff up by himself. He needed help. Do you have that in your life? That's my question. Do you have those people in your life? They had spiritual purpose. They were dedicated to each other. And the last thing is... They had a mission. They had a mission together. That's what their community was about. Notice the last verse there said, And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Why? I believe, back to my original question, that they didn't add community because they got so large. I believe they got so large so fast because people saw community. Because people couldn't stay away. Because people were excited about what God was doing and they wanted to have that in their own life. Let me take you back to Hebrews again. Let us consider how we may spur one another on to love and good deeds, not giving up the habit of meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. You see, in this room, I'm the spurrer and you're the spur e, which is fine. But we need to be in each other's lives. And what the writer of Hebrews is saying is that if you're looking at your life right now and you're saying, five years ago, I'm at the same place that I, was, that I am right now. I haven't really grown in my Christian life. It's not because you didn't go to church enough. It's not because your once a week experience wasn't enough. It's because you don't have enough people in your life who are spurring you on. And when you have that, it's attractive. People want that. People want to grow. People want to have that in their life. And so this mission continued to grow. I'm going to talk more about the mission in two weeks, but it, it, it just exploded. Bob Russell said, the church exploded in growth because people love being together. When you get a group of people together who genuinely believe something and who really enjoy each other, it's contagious. You can't keep people away. People assume that smaller churches must have better fellowship and stronger relationships because everybody knows everybody, but churches that genuinely love one another don't stay small very long. Remember how lonely people are out there in the world. Remember how, how many people are desperate out there that need somebody in their life. That community is like a magnet to them. Our job is not to save them. The Lord added to their number those who are being saved. But our job is to use our tattoo of our lips and go out and proclaim, I was blind, but now I see. And to be a part of a community that people are spurring us on to love and good deeds so that we're being the people that God wants us to be and that will be attractive. My belief is that the reason that most churches in the world are dead, and I'm not saying that lightly, 80% of the churches in America didn't win a single convert to Jesus last year. The reason... It's because people don't have their tattoos on. Because people aren't getting out of the way of God. Jesus said, if I'm lifted up, I'll draw all men to me. Just get out of my way and let me do my work. I will add to your number. You just tell your story 
And you just be a part of community. <coughs> and there's an urgency here. He said, all the more as you see the day approaching. All the more as you see the day approaching. What does that mean? Well, you remember last week, if you were here last week, I said, Jesus said, hey, we need to work now. There needs to be urgency now because night is coming and you can't work at night. And then after night, what's going to happen? There's a new day. There's going to be a new day, new heaven and a new earth. And those of us who have Jesus are going to be really excited about that. But those who don't are not. So there's an urgency here. All the more as you see the day approaching. This bumper sticker is kind of funny. Jesus is coming, look busy. <clears throat> but how about Jesus is coming, get busy. I mean, that's kind, of the, that's kind of the urgency that I feel. That's kind of what I feel coming back from a, a break this summer is to come back and go, you know what? Everything that we're doing is dead on. I like what we're doing. I love being a part of this church and what's happening here. But we need a greater sense of urgency because there are a lot of people out there. And, and I don't know how much longer Jesus is going to wait before he comes back. And I don't know how much more time I've got or how much more time you've got. There's got to be a sense of urgency. We need to be a part of a community. You know, uh, this is the uh, last week for my daughter to hear me preach live before she goes back to college. And we've had a lot of kids here this weekend. A lot, of, a lot of kids are going back to college. And some of you in this room are going to college for the very first time. And maybe it's this week. This is a great, one of our young men tweeted that he loved the sermon because it was a great message for him to hear before he went away to college. I want to tell you this. One of the most important things I, I could tell you wherever you are, one of the most important things I could tell you is to find community. As a parent that, and spiritual community, not just join a frat house, I'm talking about somebody that's going to help you in your life, spiritual community. One of the things as a parent that is so important to us is to know that our kids are in community. I'm excited for Becca to go back to L.A. and be in this college and be a part of a group that plans worship and be part of a, a great dorm and be a part of a, a bunch of small group things that, where she has people in her life that spur her on and she spurs them on. Our uh, son and daughter-in-law live in Nashville. They're a part of a great church. They're a part of a great small church, a small group. Our daughter that just got married in June, in July, she and her husband Tommy moved to St. Louis. They went to a church for the very first week. <clears throat> they weren't sure, you know, if this was the church for them. But immediately after the service, they found a small group of people their age. And that small group invited them to come and have lunch with them. And they went and they met their small group and they decided at that moment, this is the church for us. Not based on the service, not based on anything else, but because they instantly found community. And I can't tell you how important it is to me as a father to know that <clears throat> when my kids have trouble in St. Louis, they've got issues going. They've got people in their life that are going to help them with the issues. They've got pe they don't have to call me. I don't have to get my car and drive five hours down to see them and try to take care of them because they've got people in their life. My kids in Nashville have people in their life. And my kid in LA has people in her life. And that's what's really important. As a parent, I understand that. As a parent, you understand that. As children of fa our father, we need to understand that. So we're going to be doing uh, the story. If you've got a bulletin on the way in, take this thing out. I, I want to encourage you to do something. <clears throat> There's two things for you to do in here. One of them is to host a story life group. And the other one is to do the story on your own or with your family, okay? 
I want to encourage everybody to fill one of these out. And when you fill these out, if you give them to somebody on the way out, they will give you a packet of information that will help you to understand. Again, this starts in about a month, uh, September 22nd. Uh, so you've got plenty of time to figure all this out. Fill this out, and on the way out, do this, okay? I want to encourage you, and we're not asking you to do 31 weeks of a life group. Do five. That's all we're asking you to. Do five. And you can invite your own people or you can let us send people to you from the website, however you want to do it. We want to literally have hundreds of life groups together who are going to do community together, who are going to spur one another on to love and good deeds, who are going to work in each other's lives, who are going to be there. And it'll take a while to make it happen, but you will never regret putting on a tribal bracelet chain tattoo. You will never regret it. You'll never regret having people in your life when the tough times come, when the celebrations come. You will never regret being a part of a team, being a part of a relay team, being able to have people in your life that you can share the journey with. All right. Get in it. If you're not going to host one, that's okay. Get in one. We need you to be in community somehow, be in a life group, be in tight with somebody else. One of the things they did in community was they broke bread together. Uh, the Bible tells us several times in the book of Acts that they, on the Lord's day they would get together and they would break bread. They would do this thing. And it's kind of interesting if you think about the fact that this communion that we're getting ready to partake of right now, the this, this sacrament of, of, of Jesus giving his life for us, was instituted by Jesus on the last night his small group met together. Think about it. Jesus came and he instituted a small group with 12 guys and he hung out with them for three years and just before they left, before he left, before he died, he got together and he said, listen, I'm not going to be with you anymore. You're going to have to meet on your own. But whenever you get together, I want you to remember me and what I did for you. I died for you so that you could be free. This is what we do right here. This is what we do right now. Would you pray with me as we get ready for communion? Lord, there may be people in this room who don't know you. Um, they, they just uh, never had an opportunity to even think about you being the Savior of the world. Uh, this would be a great time during communion for them to open up their heart and say, Jesus, I want you to be my Savior, not just the Savior of the world. I want you to be my personal Savior. I, I, I want to give my life to you. I want you to forgive my sins. I ask you to come and to live inside. I ask your Spirit to come and be with me. Lord, all of us right now during communion have the opportunity. We love doing it every week here because uh, that's the way they did it back in, in the New Testament. The people that knew you decided to do it that way. So we like to do it that way, but it's just such a great reset for us. It's just such a great time for us to come back together and say, okay, this is the spiritual purpose we're all about. I'm going to take communion. I'm going to remember that, that you died for me. I'm going to remember that I'm wearing a couple of tattoos that are pretty important. The telling your story, the lips tattoo, the part of a community, the, the tribal bracelet. I am somebody who is a believer, and I'm going to make sure other people know it because we've got to work while the day's here. The night is coming, and then there's a new day, and that's going to be wonderful, but there's a whole lot of people out there that need to join us. So be with us as a church as we commune right now, and we pray that we will always have the problem of asking people to move over and trying to figure out where to put more people because that just means we're like the first church. Thank you for adding to our number daily those who are being saved. Thank you for those who are making that statement right now. Lord, I pray that you'll be with us in Jesus' name. Amen.